0: Welcome to Life, bringing you insight and experiences into love, relationships, and fertility, with a focus on enjoying life and moving forward. On today's podcast, we'll be speaking with Rabbi Elon Siegelman regarding fertility and Judaism. Welcome to Life, Love, Insight, Fertility, Experiences. I am here today with Rabbi Elon Siegelman, who is from one of the largest, most profound. Utility Organizations. It is such a pleasure to have you here today. And I am going to ask you if you could please tell us about the organization and about yourself. And thank you very much for being here.
1: Uh, Lori, the pleasure is mine. Thank you for having me. It's a real honor to be here to address uh, this important topic to all of your listeners. And it's a topic that really has to be addressed, has to be brought out to the forefront because the more people know the more people are informed, the more empowered uh, we will be to make the right decisions, to get the best care, uh, it's, it's really it's an honor to be here, so thank you. As you mentioned, my name is Rabbi Elon Siegelman, uh, I'm a rabbi in Queens, congregation in I have a congregation in Kew Gardens Hills, and I'm also the rabbi of Pua. I am the rabbinic advisor for PUA in America.
0: PUA is a very large organization that has an incredible starting point.
1: Yeah, PUA actually began in Israel mm-hmm. about 30 years ago as a response to the rabbinic, uh, the, the, as the, the rabbinic response to the new fertility treatments that that had, were coming into the world. when When Louise Brown was born, about 40 years ago, there was a big question mark in the Orthodox Jewish community whether such treatment would be permissible and accepted into the community. And unfortunately, the initial response was actually quite negative. They they didn't really want people doing these treatments. And I believe it was because of that dark unknown. Nobody really knew much about it. Uh, Really no one knew what was happening.
0: I had the opportunity to speak to a priest about Catholicism, and Catholicism was g- going through the same thing in many ways. It's what do we yes. do? You know, where right. did science it and was was that,
1: we're that question mark? What when it was described? You know, it was so different yeah. than natural conception. The thought of having sperm extracted from the male and 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 uh, and oocytes from the female and forming embryos in a laboratory to then be transferred back into the womb was such a foreign thought almost impossible to comprehend it, the automatic response was that's not for us and some some rabbis even admitted that their opposition was predicated on this thought that it wasn't going to take off that it's not really worth it for me to bend over backwards to permit such a treatment when this is just science fiction it's not really going to take off Wow. It's not going to become you mainstream. I
0: unbelievable about what you're saying. Family is such a key and central role
1: in the Orthodox community. Absolutely. You know, that that really is a fantastic point. Uh, and that's why, you know, I believe that if the, the questioners, the people who are asking the question, if they weren't so deep rooted in family, they would have accepted the answer and walked away. You know, when the rabbi says no, the rabbi says no. But we see if you fast forward, 35 years, I, I can't even imagine what those rabbis of of yesteryear, you know, really, of 30, 40 years ago, would say today, looking at the wide stream acceptance of fertility treatment in most Orthodox communities, in or almost all Orthodox communities. In fact, there is a fascinating series of responses written by one of the leading rabbis in Israel named Moshe Sternbach and remoshe Sternbach has a collection of written responses to these questions and at first he wrote unequivocally that th- this is inappropriate this type of treatment is inappropriate and we should not uh, we should not engage in such treatment and over the years 20 plus years if you follow it in his his writings he shifts at first it's small shifts as you know going from that hardcore no to maybe a softer perhaps moving all the way to the other side of the spectrum that one is actually actually obligated to undergo such treatments because of that mitzvah because of that commandment and obligation to procreate and to fill the world with children so i think what changed was the acceptance in the world medicine advanced and people just really saw that this got off the ground it took off in such a positive way with so many children, thousands and thousands and thousands of children being born due to this reproductive uh, technology. And, and therefore, so- that actually did shift the response. of. of one of rabbi she- have that kind of influence? I, I, he happens to be quite an influential rabbi in Israel, but it's not just mm-hmm. him. I'm, I'm using him as an example, but I believe that this is that this is uh, the same approach that many 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 rabbis have taken and you can follow in their writings you can follow the shift uh, it's, which is just unbelievably fascinating and and beautiful to see how how jewish law obviously the the concepts don't change the concepts which are deep rooted in the torah so those don't change but the application given modern medicine given modern society and technology the applications uh, do change. Something like electricity. The Torah doesn't address electricity because electricity wasn't around thousands of years ago, but the application of the Torah principles fit into electricity perfectly, and we can apply them, and we live our lives uh, daily with the Torah's perspective on electricity. So too, we have the Torah's approach to fertility treatment, which again, wasn't available um, when I prior... Think-
0: so wonderful about what you're saying is that the religion was able to keep up with the science absolutely so your organization if we can go back to that for a minute what does your
1: organization do could you tell us a little bit about that absolutely so let me let me go back to 30 years ago when when the the people couples who uh did not have children saw this technology being introduced to the world and they quickly ran to their rabbis for guidance and as i mentioned unfortunately many of the rabbinic authorities said no and the reason one of the reasons for this opposition was the unknown what was going on in the lab when the sperm comes in and the egg uh comes is is um you know the is retrieved and the and the fertilization takes place it's done behind closed doors no one really knew what was going on. And to go back to that point that you mentioned, the, 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 the family and lineage is so important to us in our Jewish faith, should there be a, an option or an opportunity, heaven forbid, that the wrong embryo, the wrong genetic material would be implanted in the wrong woman, that could present serious, serious issues to Jewish lineage. And and therefore, many rabbis said that we should not engage in fertility treatments. And it was really Machon Pua, uh, the Pua Institute, uh, 30 years ago that decided that, hey, wait, if we can set up and organize some type of supervision and observation procedure in the labs to see to it that everything is fine, there will be no mix-ups, there will be uh, no uh, genetic material from one woman implanted into the next, or one man into, into the next someone else's wife. So perhaps we can uh, begin to permit such treatments because, again, that issue will not be on the table. And that's really how PUA began. PUA began by, uh, by really, by brainstorming and it was a, a small group of rabbis led by Rav Menachem Borstein uh, in, in, in Israel. How can we set up a system to allow for couples to undergo treatment according to Jewish law? That was the mission. And any obstacle...
0: No, I apologize, but so 30 years ago we weren't a donor egg and donor sperm, and surrogacy
1: was not as prevalent? Correct. We were just talking about basic IVF and, 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 and IUI. Okay. At that point, IVF, you know, the in vitro fertilization.
0: Yeah. And the medication to elicit more eggs would be okay to use.
1: Sure. Yeah. At that time, really, one of the main issues was as soon as you have genetic material leaving the body, which yes. again, is so foreign from natural conception. Absolutely. Yeah. Then we needed to address that issue and resolve it. Um so that's how PUA began. PUA began with a team of observers uh, and the rabbinic, uh, the rabbinic body, which was the kind of the brain behind this mission.
0: When you say observers, do you mean the Orthodox community?
1: Members of the Orthodox community who would actually enter the operating room and the, and the clinic and follow the genetic material, whether it's the sperm or the egg or both, mm-hmm. and follow from the moment it leaves the body, until the point where it's implanted back into the body or discarded or whatever is happening with it, so that we will have proof with our own two eyes that everything is being done without any question. Just sim- are there, similar-
0: Are there certain doctors or certain labs people go to for for fertility treatment when they're following the orthodox and just just to let people know in case they don't, Judaism um, is comprised of three general practices, which would be reformed, conservative, and orthodox. Um, it's typically the orthodox that would follow the letter of the law, so to speak, not that others don't have thoughts and feelings about it. Of course, they do, especially in times of crisis. But the organization was really developed for the Orthodox community, which we'll talk a little bit more about and, and the different teachings in the Orthodox community. So I just wanted to kind of add that into the coverage. Yeah, perfect,
1: thank yeah. you. Yeah, thank you. It's a, it's a very important point.
0: Would these um, doctors or labs, because I'm thinking, okay, well, the, somebody from the Jewish community is going to have the role of now following the egg and the sperm, but then it's going to go to the lab and be in the lab for five days. Three to
1: five. Yeah. So, I mean, we can fast forward to today that that's really how the organization began. It was a response to, um, it was a response to, to open the doors to so many couples who didn't have children and who weren't, weren't getting the permissibility to engage in these, in these treatments who will open those doors. And that's really, if we fast forward to today, who is all about opening doors.
0: Hua uh-huh. is
1: mm-hmm. an organization. What was that? What a
0: great slogan
1: to have! Or all about opening doors. We're opening doors. We don't want Jewish law to close doors for people. Now we stay strict to the laws. You mentioned, you mentioned. We you know we're an Orthodox organization, and we, you know, we are governed by the Torah and Orthodox law. So therefore, we will not break anything. But within the law, there are so many opportunities to open doors and not to close them. So you know something as an example you mentioned before like egg donation and sperm donation and and um, and surrogacy, so those are highly controversial topics. But within the Orthodox Jewish community, there's a lot of door openings that can that can take place. Some some rabbis um, have a more closed approach. Our personal approach, at Pua. Again, completely within Orthodox Judaism and with the approval of, of a number of mainstream Orthodox rabbis, is to open those doors and allow women who are unable, couples who are unable to have children due to uh, an egg factor or a uterine factor or a sperm factor, to go ahead and have children, albeit with a third party, whatever it may be, but certainly under uh, you know in the em- under the envelope and under the umbrella of of Orthodox Jewish law, so. If we fast forward to today, what our organization looks like, we have three main missions. Number one, as I mentioned before, as we began with supervision, we offer supervision in the labs. You know, we're in New York, so many of them in Labs, as well as as the Los Angeles, we have a West Coast branch, and really everywhere in between the East Coast and West Coast, we have very, very wonderful working relationships with the lab directors, uh, and the doctors all across the country and um, and we have observers, which are religious, Jewish, mostly Jewish women um, who are on really on on a moment's notice, willing to drop everything and get into a car and drive to a lab because there was a last minute procedure, a last minute sperm freeze, a last minute retrieval, a transfer, whatever it may be, and we got to be there. Um, and they're there. It's a tremendously challenging and uh, and difficult job. But these women are, are angels, God sent angels that care so much about the Jewish people and about God's children and making more children that they will drop everything to see to it that those couples have the opportunity to do what they need to do under Jewish law uh, without, any, without any questions. So that's supervision. And we so
0: where does the con
1: I, I hate to bring
0: up conflict but where does some of the controversy come in because some people um some of the rabbis don't accept it and some of them do accept it and so some communities are accepting and some communities are not and that must. Are you refer
1: are you referring to ivf or, you're, or or supervision or both
0: some of the ivf i'm referring to some of the donor and the donor yeah donor sperm, surrogacy. There's so many options now to create a family. It used to be adoption. And so what we've seen is adoption rates go down as the other things go up. Um, and adoption actually is not that easy these days, not for any religion. So that's what I'm referring to, is the change in the, in the philosophies of different communities.
1: Yeah, yeah, that's a good point. Thank, thankfully, mainstream Orthodox Judaism mainstream orthodox judaism does allow for at, at least at least ivf you know the husband's sperm and the woman's egg being conceived and uh, fertilized in the lab and then being implanted back into the you know the man's own wife when we're just dealing with those two individuals husband and wife and they just need a little of uh, medical assistance mainstream orthodox rabbis do permit such treatments there are i don't want to call them outliers but there are more there are rabbis in the ultra-orthodox community perhaps some in the hasidic community that question and sometimes don't allow but even then i've spoken to numerous hasidic rabbis um, who who are in charge of their population of thousands if tens of thousands hundreds of thousands uh, and they are actually quite intimately familiar with the ins and the outs of i v f and they do they they do they do permit it so i'm I'm happy and and um and privileged to say here on the air that I would say the majority of orthodox Judaism does permit and even celebrate the fact that we have an opportunity to expand. Uh, to expand the, the population, the Jewish population, and to allow for those couples who were terribly broken, unable to conceive without this assistance, to go ahead and and have that opportunity to become parents and to partake in the community.
0: Yeah. So when you say terribly broken, you know, that, that touches me because I do so much work with support groups and individual counseling and couples counseling related to fertility. Your
1: organization also provides counseling, doesn't it? I, I Absolutely. So that would be, that would be the next thing that we do. So supervision is one branch of the organization.
0: I apologize, <laughs> we need to,
1: to change the branch. No, no, perfect. Let's, let's go there. The, the second, the second branch, the second thing that we do, our second mission is that of guidance and support. And guidance and support looks very different. Guidance and support could be questions that people have with Jewish religion, where they want to know how does Jewish law allow me to go ahead with my fertility treatment? For instance, my doctor told me I should do A, B, and C. Is that permissible according to Jewish law? And there are so many questions that people have to make sure that their treatments are being done in accordance to Jewish law, uh, where some some of their local Orthodox rabbis may not have that knowledge because it's a certain level of expertise that not everyone has. So PUA is the organization um, which focuses on those um, highly complicated and sophisticated questions. Some are more simple and basic and others are more complicated. And we offer that, that service to the Jewish community to help them navigate their fertility journey within the framework of Jewish law.
0: So I'm wondering actually, as you're talking, I was going to ask you before do you do a lot of education to the
1: doctors as well as the rabbis? The- Laura, you're on to so that's already the third branch, so we'll get there in a minute. Okay. But we're just okay. on the second, we're on our second branch, our second mission. Our second mission the first one was supervision in the labs, mm-hmm. our second mission is guidance and support. So, and the one I said- comes
0: to you, and she says, or the couple comes to you, and they say, you know, we have to go through this treatment, we don't know what to do, we're struggling with it. And not only are we struggling with it, our parents who are even more religious than we are, we're orthodox, but they're, I don't know, I would use the word ultra-orthodox, you would use a more appropriate term, I'm sorry, so I don't mean to be offensive, but they are really against it, like, what what do we do? We wanna have a family. And I actually know a story of somebody who, I would say she was conservative, she was in one of my support groups, and um her her family was orthodox and they found fertility medication in her closet and they were very upset with
1: her for fertility medication that's a really hard you know that that's a really hard dynamic and and i have spoken to i've spoken to parents i i have spoken to the parents we're actually planning on running an event um this one for the parents of single women single women who are interested in egg freezing and fertility preservation, um, h- how the parents can help their children, their daughters, and, and not stress them out. People who make comments like, when am I gonna be, I gonna be a Zadie? When am I gonna be a grandfather? When are you, you, know, when are you gonna give me, ch- you know, when are you gonna get married? All your other siblings are married. Some of those comments, although in the parents' eyes are not significant, they can be so terribly hurtful and insensitive to the patient themselves or the couple or the, or the, or the, or the single who's going through such, such a difficult time.
0: You know, people don't mean anything by these statements that become so hurtful and, and you know, tormenting because they want to say, listen, if I could do it, I would do it. I'm so glad that you're having that. I, I think it's so- Yeah,
1: so we're going to have, you know, a special, I mean, it, since COVID happened, it may turn into a virtual webinar, but as opposed to an in-person gathering, but uh, an, an evening of education and and, and support for the parents uh, of of women who are undergoing or who, who would like to undergo, um, Fertility preservation and also a lot of the parents have no idea what that means. They don't understand the science They don't understand the cost behind it. They really are just so out of the picture So let's bring them into the picture the more they know the more informed they are hopefully the easier it will be on the family and hopefully they'll be even more helpful to their daughters in, in whichever angle you know they could be of service. And hopefully um, but an opportunity for them to express
0: their concerns and their fears and their anxiety and their stress over it. Um, so that, that's a wonderful venue. We had chatted for a second, not that we have to go into it because I want to continue the conversation about there's a, a small movement of single women having babies now too. So this fits right into the conversation of preservation. Very just. Absolutely. So Absolutely. you give the parents the room to talk about it or offer services for them as well? Yes.
1: Yeah, I mean, I've, I get, I do get calls from parents and they say, listen, what am I supposed to do? My daughter, she's been married for, for four years, no children. I want to help her, but I also don't want to be a nudge. I don't want to be a nuisance and I don't want to offend her. How do I balance the fact that I want to help her. I want to be resourceful, but I don't want to offend her. So right. we, we do get we do get those questions quite That's often. A
0: very nice way for a parent to put it, because sometimes they'll say, "I don't know what to say anymore. All we're doing is getting upset with each other, and I, I don't say the right thing." or the woman will say to me, "My parents and my family never say the right thing." Right.
1: right No, and especially around the holiday season, you know, Passover and Shavuot, you know, when usually typically, not this year, but typically, families gather together. Aunts, uncles, cousins, nieces, nephews—the whole family—and um, often, inevitably, those comments come up, you know, at the at the holiday table. Conversation about children, and hey, how come? You know, it's been hasn't it? When did you get married again? Weren't you? Haven't you been married for three years? Come on, get to work, guys. Something, a comment like that, which seems like an innocent comment, but it could be, it could be a disastrous, a disastrous comment for for the struggling couple. Right.
0: I hope people are starting to pick up on that.
1: That's what we're trying to do. We're trying to, you know, break the stigma and, and become a little bit more out there. So people will read about us, see what's going on, learn more about infertility and take a step back and say, maybe I should be a little bit more careful before I make a comment like that, because I just saw a webinar. I read an article, and I may have a little bit of an insight as to what they're going through. I wouldn't want to. I wouldn't want to offend them. I wouldn't want to get them upset.
0: Through this area of of Puat, you're able to provide um, education and counseling as to the treatment and as to coping with going through infertility treatment. And I know it feeds right into the third avenue, which is navigating the system. And yeah. what do you do when your community? is a community where if you said you needed more treatment they would not be happy with it and you would feel very like an outcast or maybe you would be outcast what do you do at that point with somebody who is somebody who wants to be observant
1: yeah so that's an excellent question and um and that, that speaks of the third the third branch which is the education so again the first one was supervision the second one was guidance and support and guidance and support is medical questions, referrals, Jewish, you know, questions in Jewish law, as well as the emotional component. We have a, we have a, a team called the Pua Cares team, which is made up of uh, therapists and social workers who are professionals and have a, you know, dedicate some of their time just to speak with our couples and singles who are going through fertility challenges and, uh, and to offer that support. So that's a really, really essential service um, that we're lucky. And privilege to be able to offer to the jewish community and the third and the third branch and we'll get to your point now is that of education and education um, looks very different education as you said could be education of the doctors we have a number of programs that we run with different labs i've gone you know across the country speaking in, in actual in labs to the medical team from the actual reproductive endocrinologist to the lab technician to the lab director they're all there it's usually like a lunch and learn it's a, great, it's a great afternoon. The staff loves it because they get free lunch. They sit down and I lecture, sometimes once, twice, three times, depending on how frequently I go. Um, and, and we talk about religious, the sensitivities of being a religious Jew and what it means to undergo fertility treatment as an Orthodox Jew. Things like Shabbos, right, on Saturday, when the doctor says something like, oh, why don't you come in for monitoring on Saturday? So to the Orthodox Jew, that's, how am I going to do that? How am I going to get into a car? How am I going to travel? On Shabbos, I'm not allowed to drive. On Shabbos, I'm not allowed to do these things. But for a nurse or a a doctor that doesn't know better, so they may just be fueling this fire, which is burning inside of them of of discomfort, of anxiety, and now I have to add Shabbos into the equation? It could just make it so much worse. Uh, And all different types of issues where there can be a conflict between Jewish law and fertility So we address those issues and inform and educate the doctors how they can go about handling the situation and treating an Orthodox Jewish patient with the utmost respect and sensitivity uh, to make everyone happy. The patients will be happy. And when the patients are happy, the doctors are happy. The doctors will have more patients because patients will want to go to them. It works out wonderfully and and really we get better care the jewish community gets better care because of these these sessions so we educate doctors and we educate rabbis because when 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 the when the community approach their rabbi to ask whether something is permissible or not when the when the community approach the rabbi for guidance and advice instead of the rabbi saying no instead of the rabbis turning them away and saying this is not something that our community uh, endorses on the contrary let teach you all all of the material out there. Let us inform you and educate you about the different rabbinic opinions and you'll see for yourselves how the answer is yes and how we can say yes to those couples. And as I said before, open doors. So the more rabbinic education we have, the more acceptance, overall acceptance in the Jewish community we're able to gain.
0: Yeah, which is wonderful. I know at times, though, um, I hate I hate to bring this up, but I'm going to. Um, at times, I've heard of women and and men moving from one community to the other if they wanted to use a donor egg or they wanted to go to a surrogate because the community was not accepting. And at that point, I suppose that's very challenging for you as well When they, if they come to you.
1: Yeah. You know, when we talk about donor eggs and, and surrogacy, so as I said before, you know, third party isn't as accepted as as mainstream IVF. Right. So it's true that everything that I'm speaking up until now is really kind of ends at IVF. Once we enter the world of third party, then we have uh, a number of different opinions amongst the orthodox spectrum. Some of the most world-renowned leading rabbis, as ultra-orthodox as you could get, Permit third party and others do not. So there is more of a sensitive issue. Um, one of my, I mean, no week goes by, I want to say even almost no day goes by without a question about egg donation and surrogacy or sperm donation. And it's really, it's become, you know, just not because I'm an expert in this, but just because I have so much familiarity uh, every day dealing with these issues, speaking to different rabbis and speaking to different doctors about it. It's kind of become right. my expertise. <laughs> you know, third party, uh, how to navigate it in the Jewish community. Uh, I have I have had the privilege to have many conversations with leading Orthodox rabbis, some of, as I mentioned, the most ultra Orthodox as you can get that have given us the green light and we're helping women uh, who have a uterine factor who need a surrogate uh, or, or women with premature ovarian failure who need an egg donation or women, you know, fragile X, gen- the genetic disorders the Kleinfelter syndrome patients who need sperm donation, you know, th- th- it really runs the gamut. Um and and thankfully, there's there are so many leading rabbis with an open with an open mind um that, that really do allow for all this to take place under the guidelines of strict Jewish law.
0: I'm so happy to hear that's changing.
1: All right, know, it really is changing.
0: Moving. Yeah. And it probably will continue to move as the years go on, I'm hoping. Because it's a horrible struggle to go through, and then to have to leave your community, um, where you go to services every week or more than every week, and you you spend weekends or sh- and Shabbos with. Um, in case you are not familiar with Shabbos, it's it's you know the Sabbath in the Jewish religion, where people are are home and with friends and family, and it's about family in many ways, and. I'm glad to hear that that's starting to change, because to have to leave that and also go through the fertility struggle at the same time is a very hard thing for anybody to cope with.
1: Right, absolutely. It's the community. The more education that the community is exposed to, the more informed they are about fertility treatment, about fertility acceptance. So their perspective will change drastically. You know, people who don't know anything about fertility treatment, they just think there's some crazy, God forsaken treatment that no only one in a million people go through, you're that person that that goes through, that's crazy. But once they begin to open up, and to see how common it is, how accepted and what exactly it entails. So number one, they'll have a more general accepting nature towards it. And then when they go into even the nitty gritty, we'll call it, Exactly what it entails the shots, the prep, the monitoring the the blood work, the ultrasounds so then they'll even have an appreciation Wow you're going through your what you're going through IVF I can't imagine is there anything I can do for you can I send you know can I send pizza to your house Thursday night so or you know can I prepare meals for the weekend once that once that, that shift takes place where people understand what other what their neighbors are going through and it, i say neighbors because inevitably it's all over the place one, and one eight. in eight couples one, one eight. in seven couple eight couples whatever the number is now it's everywhere it's your neighbor it's your I'm cousin sure it's
0: you're you're saying that that about educating the community as well i actually just finished a book i wrote about um donor egg i'm gonna send it to, oh, the, wow. sending it to the publisher in the next couple of weeks some of the illustrations wow,
1: very nice good luck i would love i would love to read it
0: oh i'd love for you to read it it's just a simple story it's not a scientific story but it's to educate and it's to help actually people become comfortable with the concept Mm. because that's the key understand it and become comfortable with it and gain knowledge and that will empower you to be able to open up your mind to change so that's what the rabbis did actually who started puat from what you said and now it's kind of like bringing everybody up along the road
1: with you. That's yeah. right, that's right. At every step in the way, there are always challenges. And you know, when, when um, we just had a, there was, was a real big tumult in the community about, about uterine transplants. You know, when the newest technology um, mm-hmm. is introduced. So what happened 30, 40 years ago is happening on a smaller scale, but it's always happening. The rabbis always have to address the issue address the technology that's being introduced kind of dissect it and figure out what exactly it is from a medical perspective how does that fit into the jewish law and what is going to be our overall approach now inevitably you're going to have different approaches as you said before reform conservative orthodox and even amongst orthodox jews there's going to be a difference of opinion but let's take a uterine transplant for the most part it's it's been it's accepted As medical as medical um, technology advances, it'll become more widespread, hopefully. So then we'll we'll see more and more of it. Right now, it's quite limited. But but there was that that same discussion, that same conversation that took place 40 years ago about IVF just took place around uterine transplants. So we see that constant, constant conversation based on what's being introduced. And
0: it, the amazing part about the Orthodox community is that they very, very, very heavily rely and consult with their rabbi before they take action. Not just about fertility, but about many, many things in life. So the rabbi has a huge influence on the community. So for them to be able to have somebody like you to educate them and teach them is is wonderful. It's a blessing, really, for the community because they need that. They need people who are knowledgeable, open-minded, and able to kind of get some perspective on the situation, so they could share the information in a non-judgmental manner. And that's really so so wonderful about PUAC because you accept anybody who comes to you, um, who needs this assistance, it needs the guidance, whether it's the person going through it, the parent, the relative, the doctor, or the rabbi.
1: That's
0: right. It's An incredible organization, and I'm, I'm so glad that we were able to have you on today. I don't know if there's anything else you wanted to cover, but I think this was wonderful information and an incredible resource for anybody who's Jewish or Orthodox or who just wants an insight into how religion uh, for the Jewish population
1: evolved with fertility. Yeah, I really thank you for having me. Um, The message I would just like to share is that there are so many resources available for the Jewish community. I'm sure for every community, I just know the Jewish community. There are so many resources that are available and people may have this perception that if I ask the rabbi, he's just gonna say no. That's not true. It may be true, but you will always be surprised. There's so many people that are surprised. When they asked the rabbi, they were expecting a no, 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 and they got a yes, or they got a different response. We wanna work with you. And as we always say, it's much easier to say no than it is to say yes. Everyone can say no, but in order to say yes, and to be able to support yourself, you need that wide breadth of knowledge, that experience and the familiarity with the medication, the technology, Jewish law, with that, all of that, and that really is uh, the expertise of PUA. We have a rabbinic team in Israel. Uh, myself, we have a rabbinic team. I have uh, you know, a few partners here in, in, in New York, on the West Coast, in, Wait, in Australia.
0: Saying, I'm sorry for interrupting you, but what you just said I think is so important because it's so much harder to say yes than it is no, and it's so much harder for the person going through a fertility journey to have the strength to say to their rabbi, I really want this. I need you to listen. I need you to wait a minute. And then to take the control to decide what they're going to do
1: based on their rabbi's answer. Can't tell you how many times, I can't tell you how many times I'll tell a, I'll tell a caller, listen, I'm not comfortable, but hold on. Let me consult with someone else. Let me consult with one of my, with, with one of my partners. Let me consult with a different rabbi. Let's, let's, not, let's not close it here. Let's not end the conversation here. Let me get back to you because yeah. a lot of these questions are complicated. A lot of these questions are, are are nuanced and even speaking it out with other rabbis, getting their perspective and their knowledge will bring us closer to, to opening those doors that that couple needs.
0: I think that that's so important for people to take away from this conversation. You don't have to take no as an answer.
1: Yeah, absolutely. I would encourage anyone that has any questions, uh, on fertility, um, whether it's related to Jewish law or the medical, the medical sides, so please pick up the phone and call us. You can Google, you know, puafertility.org. You can call us, on, you know, you can find the information online. You could email us. We have an ask the rabbi um, option. We can schedule a free consultation option. It's all there on our website, puafertility.org. And uh, I encourage everyone because no one, no one should do this alone no one should do this without rabbinic support or emotional support and and there's so many resources to help the community at large everyone should take advantage
0: so thank you so much and that was puah.org if anybody wants to reach
1: out puah fertility.org
0: thank you so much for being here today and if anybody has any questions or comments please feel free to reach out to me at lauriemetz.net